In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. And welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and today we're going to hear first from Tommy Grace, who played synthesizers in Django Django, and then from Austin guitarist and songwriter Adrian Casada. But first, I have something to admit to you, dear listener. Our theme song, the one that plays beneath me even as we speak, I have been pronouncing the name of this song wrong since the podcast started. It's pronounced Mahout, not Mahout. My apologies to Hardproof Afrobeat, who, by the way, just released a live record on Jim Eno's public hi-fi label. Um, I'm not sure why I went with that pronunciation, because it's actually spelled Mahout, like M-A-H-O-U-T, but oops. I just decided that that was how it was pronounced, and then I went with it, but I am here to admit my mistake, and from this day forward, we'll pronounce it as Mahout, unless, like, I forget or something. Okay, so let's get into this episode. Tommy Grace is, like I said, the synth player in the British band Django Django, a band that we all dig here at the radio station where we make this podcast, KUTX. They play rock that is inextricably tied to art. In fact, they all met at the Edinburgh School of Art, and a big part of their sound is directly related to the synths that Tommy plays. They released a record in 2015 called Born Under Saturn, and they came to Austin on their tour around that record. And while they were in our fair city, they stopped into our performance studio here at KTX, Studio 1A. They actually played a very stripped down set. And afterwards, Tommy sat down with me and told me about a song that pretty much got him interested in making electronic music. So here he is, Tommy Grace. Growing up as a teenager, I guess I was like heavily influenced by uh, what my brother was listening to and, and some other friends, and it was your older really brother? my older brother, yeah. But I really looked up to him, and, but he he it was like Zeppelin. Sabbath. Deep Purple I totally obsessed over these albums in a way that I don't think kids probably obsess about albums so much these days because there's such proliferation of them and it's all at your fingertips but back then it was literally just you know a bunch of records like a small you know I could probably hold all the records that were in my household you know and, and I'd carry them from one room to another 
you know, so there's not very many, and so you, you, you really get to know these records. I was growing up during the 80s, and, and I, I felt strongly that anything with a drum machine was false and not valid. That cuts out a lot of music that in does, the 80s. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I don't know. I, I can't really explain it. You were looking for maybe something authentic, which like yeah, I guess. in the 80s, it was all synths and drum machines. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just didn't buy into that, which is the, the perverse thing is that this, you know, it's drum machines and synths that are totally my thing now in <laughs> Django Django. So this is why I was mentioning this is so this, the thing that my epiphany, I remember this quite well. My memory's generally really off about this. I do remember it would have been oh God, what year would it have been? I was I must have been 15 maybe 16 and we were down Morningside Park which is this is the area of Edinburgh where I grew up and my pal Ian who is who looked quite a lot older than me but wasn't really much older than me had just come back from Ibiza this is when people go to Ibiza and go into clubs and stuff like that don't people so still go to yeah I, they do yeah no, they totally you. do yeah of course yeah Ibiza we say uh, yeah. Ibiza it's so, so Spanish uh, right? Ibiza Ibiza yeah uh, but he he'd just come back from Ibiza and he just because we we used to play football in the park playing football there was this like concrete tennis court and we'd play football there throughout all the summers and stuff and we'd listen to generally we'd only really listen to like UB40 or in fact it was just pretty much solid blanket UB40 for some reason like which Red is, Red Wine UB40? no 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 like the first album like, okay. like 12 Bar and stuff and which is still a great album I was listening to it the other day there I was like wow this is great He came back. He came back from uh, from Ibiza with this tape of you know like a whole bunch of like like Paul Oakenfold and like uh, Pete Tong like uh, mixtapes, mm-hmm. dance music like proper dance music, uh, you know. And I was really really suspicious of this, but he put on this one uh, tape, and I remember because we taped it so it would just repeat, repeat, and repeat and repeat. <laughs> So uh, we literally, yeah, yeah, totally. So we 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 were playing football and we just listened to the song over and over and over again, and it was totally like nothing I'd ever heard. It was uh, this tune, Josh Wink, uh, "Higher State of Consciousness." It's literally just a drum machine and like a 303 bass line and that's it that is it and then the the 303 bass line gets modulated and so there's this just incredible crescendo throughout the whole throughout the whole song until it drops totally magical and I, and this like I said it was just had a huge effect on me and it, 
made me completely reconsider. Everything else seems so bloated after listening to to this pure, like, energy and it was just seemed really cool and it seemed really raw and. Was it the simplicity of it? Was it that they did the like, so much with so little? Y- yeah, yeah. There's a there's a totally amazing economy to it and purpose. It's there's no noodling. It's just totally like right on and just get, get like hits you like between the eyes, you know. <laughs> Um, and after that, I, I started listening to a whole load of dance music, and and then subsequently, after listening to dance music, then I started thinking, well, maybe what else is going on? Like what? And then I was, then I started listening to a whole bunch of like post-punk and stuff. I got into like the, the bands that I love now, you know, like bands like Talking Heads. <laughs> Like that, like that. It, it was Josh Wink that softened me up for all, all that, that like huge canon of electronic music. And, and were you playing music when you heard this? I mean, you were playing soccer, but were you? Well, a- I was always playing uh, piano. Yeah, I, I was, I was making music. I, I had, uh, it was, you know, like I, I always had a. Uh, PC. Well, at this time, I would have had a PC. Uh, I tried making music in my Atari ST, which was a popular computer in the day for making dance music, but I never really cracked it. But I got a PC, and I was always making like weird sort of MIDI tunes. And then later, I got started doing stuff with a, a bunch of mates. We, I, because I was taking piano lessons, but I was only uh, playing. We just had a cabinet organ, like an old. Farfisa cabinet organ in the house, and it was fr- it's it's cool. We've you know it's cool, but it's no it's not a piano, and it was I always found it quite frustrating. But we 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 took a door off my kitchen, we took the, a door off its hinges in the kitchen, and put a couple of skateboards on it, and me and my pals, four pals, took this cabinet organ and lifted it onto this door, and <laughs> and moved it four blocks up the roads into a garage that we uh, rented out. <laughs> And we were like, yeah, this is amazing. We're going to have our own garage. We're going to have our own space. We're going to make tunes. But we didn't make a lot of music. We just, we kind of like just wrecked this garage and smoked a lot there. It's more uh, of a, a space for hanging out. Yeah, totally, totally. You were composing music kind of before when you were still into classic rock. And then you mm-hmm. heard this uh, Josh Wink yeah. song. Yeah. And then was that when you went home and like started trying to like... It was, well, I suppose... Uh, then, yeah, it would have been. I, I, I guess not long after that is when I bought my first synth, which is still a synth that we uh, tour with. It was the Roland uh, Juno. Oh, the Juno. Yeah, so which is like, a, you know, it's, it, it's they were really great, really reliable, really uh, cool, like as a first synth or something like that. Do you still play the, sa- the actual same? Uh, we've got a spare, but it is, an, it is our spare. Do you know? Oh yeah. wow! So we take around two in case one goes wrong. So so yeah. Then uh, and then I would just be just making these weird songs. Like looking, but I lost a load of them 
but it was back in the MySpace days and I had a MySpace page and I would like post these songs that I was composing. It was literally only using the Juno. I would even use the Juno just for percussive sounds and like use a bit of white noise for a snare and uh, you can get sort of bass drummy sounds from it. And uh, they sound like sort of library music or sort of soundtracky stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd never, I can't sing, so there's no vocals on them. But they'd be like sort of goth, either like sort of really gothicy. Like I'm a big fan of like John Carpenter and his soundtracks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like maybe arpeggio led gothic sort of sound things and then and then that kind of carries over into what you do now it does yeah i mean i suppose if it wasn't for me doing that then uh dave who who so it was dave and Vinny that started writing songs with django django they had a myspace page as well uh it's just that their myspace page had a lot more fans than mine did. <laughs> and uh but they it got to a stage where they the stuff that they'd been writing in their bedroom uh, they were getting gig offers coming in, and then, but they had no idea how to, you know, pull it, pull us off live because there was loads of layers in there. I guess they, I guess Dave knew the stuff that I was writing and was think, thinking that I could complement. Plus, he knew like I had a couple of cents that would be handy to get yeah. in the live setup and stuff. Uh, yeah, the Juno. Like the Juno, yeah. yeah. Uh Because uh-huh. uh, the stuff that I collect is nearly all from. Late, very late seventies to like not even mid eighties. I think in the mid eighties things got things went a bit digital with like the Yamaha DX7, which sort of changed everything. But there's this great period from like seventy eight to eighty four uh, where loads of amazing synths were produced, and and quite a lot of the synths that I've got are from the same sort of era, and they were all designed to sort of talk to each other so it's quite easy to link them up together oh, but if yeah. you get like a modern thing and then try and hook them up with that they don't talk so well together so right. a lot of the stuff I have from that era and then it's and then it's not coincidental that a lot of the music that I like is also from that sort of time like the a lot of post-punk stuff that I was mentioning tremble from Django Django's 2015 record Born Under Saturn and you know what I need to explore the catalog of Josh Wink now I mean I kind of missed 90s techno like I was there but I was too busy listening to PJ Harvey and Liz Fair but I really liked Higher State of Consciousness I listened to it all the way through and like Tommy said it's so simple yet so impactful and I can see why it led him away from classic rock and down the path of electronic music and you too can listen to Higher State of Consciousness all the way through on the Spotify playlist we made for this episode it's got every song that gets referenced all in one place because really we feel like you should have a chance to listen to all these songs all the way through 
Now, if you liked the interview you just heard, then I'd like to take a moment and ask you to please click on over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review because ratings and reviews, they do a lot for this podcast. They raise our profile in iTunes so that other people can find this podcast and hear artists like Tommy Grace and Mark Mothersbaugh, who is in one of Tommy's favorite bands, Devo, by the way, talk about life-changing music plus... Ratings and reviews, they bolster the morale of the This Song team. And we are a team. We're a team of interviewers and editors and social media folks who all work to make this podcast happen. And knowing that people are listening to our work and digging it, it gives us like a soul-filling boost of energy. So thanks in advance. Okay, back to the music. Next up, we have the incredibly musically prolific Adrian Casada. Now, I've known Adrian or known of Adrian for over a decade because the band that he founded and that used to back up Prince for a while, Grupo Fantasma, played one of my best friend's weddings, like back in the day. He's no longer with Grupo, but he does play in Brownout, a band that shares members with Grupo Fantasma, and he started the band Spanish Gold with Patrick Callahan from My Morning Jacket and Dante Schwebel, and he just released a record with his solo project, The Echocentrics, called Echo Hotel. He describes their sound as psychedelic and dusty southern fried soul, which is like a great description. He came into KUTX and told me about a genre of music that really like inspired so much of the music that he makes today. So here he is, Adrian Casada. I know it's a little vague to pick a genre, but I think uh you know, probably the biggest musical influence in, in my life that, that I, is still relevant today was hip-hop music. Mm-hmm. Was was probably the biggest game-changer for me. Here come the drums! In Laredo, there wasn't a, a lot of uh, that culture down there. You know, there was, there was hardly black people at that time in Laredo honestly and it's a little more diverse now but it was a little secluded back then and uh so you know I, I came into hip-hop through MTV I was a only child so I was at home a lot by myself and uh watched a lot of TV uh, first MTV played a few kind of hip-hop songs like Houdini Basketball is my favorite sport. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. Uh, I had these older neighbors that were like 13 and they used to play basketball all the time. My mom had all this uh, kind of crafty stuff because she used to have a clothing store. So I made this t-shirt. I was much younger than them with puff paints that said basketball is my favorite sport. And I went to go play basketball with them. And they all just started laughing at me and they were making fun of me and I ran back home and like took off the t-shirt. But oh no. Then eventually, yeah, yeah. They were mean. You're like, no guys, this is hip. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I was totally cool. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, uh, but then eventually they had, you know, a dedicated show, which was Yom TV Raps. And that was, I think, the turning point for me of like, the, I, I was just obsessed with that.
a handful of friends in Laredo that I had that were into hip hop, but not really. It was kind of more for a metal and like skate punk town, but I just I just got obsessed with it. And I think that's the thing that influenced me the most, you know, even nowadays, I think that that uh, kind of informed where I was going musically. Can you remember like like what it was about hip hop as opposed to like the other stuff that was being played on? Yeah, that's that's on a good MTV. It's a good question. I mean, I was I was still into, you know, the rock stuff that was on MTV and and would play air guitar with my friend and watching TV and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. you know, there was certain stuff like NWA that at that time it was it was kind of raunchy stuff, like the way that they say like early rock and roll was dangerous, you know, when you're a little kid and you want something dangerous and rebellious and everything. To me, just rock and roll wasn't that dangerous and there was something about like nwa that like you know it was it was aggressive and angry I was thinking about more like public enemy like i didn't even understand what they were talking about i, I knew those lyrics verbatim i could say farrakhan quotes and you know like you know singing about this one song that i want to play and called by the time i get to arizona and it was about arizona and i think it was uh, one of the state that wasn't at the time it was 1991 um was refusing to honor like mlk day what's a smiling face when the whole state's racist why well, want a holiday damn it cause i wanna so if i celebrate it standing on a corner i ain't drinking no 40 drinking time with a nine till we get some land call me the trigger man looking for the governor huh? he ain't loving you hot but hear the trouble you keep dropping your phone all the, I, I mean i could recite that whole song like front to back and i knew who mlk was you know but i didn't really understand like but it was so impactful, like the, his delivery and the lyrics and just the music was perfect for it that, man, I, w- I was like ready. I was as pissed off as they were, you know, about I have no idea what, but <laughs> it was just that impactful. I don't know. It was like it just jumped off the, the records and kind of just gave you that feeling of being there at the time. And, and now, I mean, I get to go back and and definitely understand that there was there was a heavy message. It was it was a you know, turbulent times and even the NWA stuff. I just saw the movie recently and like there was for sure a lot of shock value and a lot of uh, misogyny and stuff like that. But they were definitely talking about some heavy stuff that nobody was else was talking about, you know, and it was uh, and they weren't afraid to do it and stuff like that. And then you had everything else, like the kind of the lighter hearted stuff, like Tribe Called Quest and, and some of that stuff that, you know, was was fun and different and, and made you feel like it was OK to be different. Can I kick it? To all the people who can quest like a tribe does Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force, why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz Wipe your feet really good on the rhythm rug If you feel the urge to freak, do the jitterbug Come and spread your arms if you really need a hug Afrocentric living is a You know, it was such a, like such a uh, heavy thing to dive into um, later in that you know, as you get a little bit older, as I got, you know, later on in high school and started to get um, more of an understanding of how they actually made the music and samples and how they layered stuff and, and what they were sampling at the time, which a lot of the times was funk and soul and jazz, that actually opened the doors for me late in high school to get into jazz and funk and soul music that I don't know that I would have gotten there any other way. 
And you mean then, like hearing a sample and being like, oh, that's they're sampling like exactly my, whatever, yeah. yeah, whatever it is, and then you'd like follow that sample mm-hmm. down the trail. I, like right before I came to UT, right before I came to college, I was just discovering jazz and discovering soul and all that stuff, and that was because of hip hop music, oh, you know, because wow. I just wanted to find out, and there was this whole community. Um, of people that wanted to find out there was a couple of like magazines i remember that were around that talked about samples and what samples and you know there was you couldn't just google it back then so there was like it was kind of a little secret <clears throat> community of people that were finding i mean nowadays there's websites where you can just type in anything and learn any know anything at all but you yeah know, back in my day <laughs> you actually had to seek out yeah, the yeah, information exactly. yeah i mean and when you were in your periods when you weren't really into guitar were you experimenting with sampling once you knew kind of like what that was and how it, were you trying to figure out how it was done and how you could do it? Yeah, a little bit. I uh, I had this keyboard in high school, like a little Casio that had a little sampler thing, and uh, which I'm bummed that I don't have that because now those are like awesome and kind of hard to find. But I kind of would mess around with those all the time and try to like, you know, emulate what I was hearing. And then I bought a four track and was kind of messing around with that. And then when I actually got to UT... I was uh, at that point finally kind of doing both, and I bought my first sampler, I think, when I was 18 and was sampling a lot, but also playing guitar. And, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's still, like, the biggest influence in what I do musically, even, like, production-wise and recording. And my favorite drum sounds are uh, the drum sounds on hip-hop stuff, you know. There was, you know, different eras of it. There was, like, the 80s where it was more kind of drum machines and programmed... there was a the kind of samples of the drum breaks and uh, that stuff to me is just um, those are just my, still my favorite sounding drums and i think too like it like hip hop and r&b i think they're they're like the most experimental Mm-hmm. like pop music mm-hmm. like that there is like you hear sounds in like hip-hop that you like you just don't hear in rock and roll yeah like, exactly no, like they, like you hear when you really start to listen to it it's like what are they even mm-hmm. doing yeah i love that there was there was no rules to it because there's no uh sort of academic boundaries of how you do this you know it's like this like a lot of those samples um back then they weren't even in the same key you know or they were just doing crazy <laughs> stuff and it was just awesome it was avant-garde and and everything and uh it was like folk music the way they started it because you know it, folk music nowadays doesn't mean necessarily just like on the with the acoustic guitar or on the campfire or the the uh you know front porch but it was like they made something out of nothing there was a and there's a documentary actually called I just saw it called something out of nothing but they uh you know it was kids that didn't have access to music education didn't have access to to instruments really even you know for, for the most part in um underprivileged parts of New York that you know, wanted to express themselves, wanted to make music, found their parents' records, plugged into the light post, figured out a way to make music. And that that's folk music, you yeah. know, to me now that I can geek out on it. But the stage is empty. A beat like this might tempt me to pull show my rings in my fat gold chain. Grab the mic like I'm on so trained, but I wait. Cause I master this. Let the others go first so the brothers don't miss. Eric B break the sticks. You got it. Rock him will begin when you make the mix. I'll spirit. 
experiment like a scientist. You now you have a solo project that you're doing, like in the Echocentrics. Do you bring both guitar and hip hop together? Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like I've finally gotten to that point where um, it's it's just in me to to kind of play a certain way or, or produce a certain way or write a song a certain way. And I think a lot of that also goes back to the production style and that I like I like repetition. I like rhythm guitar. I, I was always more of you know into rhythm guitar than I was into like you know when I remember friends like in ninth grade that you know we would like jam and start a band or whatever and they all like some guys wanted to tap like Eddie Van Halen and and I, I just never was into that like I was just always into the rhythm guitar and I think that came from the fact that like some of the hip-hop stuff that you know that influenced me was like they would take one part of the song and just loop it when I was at UT and like started diving into kind of uh, into Latin music, African music, basically all sort of with African roots in that it's uh, there was so much call and response and uh, repetition that it, it was less about each individual player and more about everything come together, coming together to do something. I could play the same thing for 30 minutes and I just love that sense of falling into like a heavy, heavy groove. And yeah, I think that still definitely influences me, you know, that kind of that sort of hypnotic like repetition rhythm thing for sure and that's that influences everything I do for now do you like do you fall into like a tra like if it's good are you in kind of a trance oh yeah state? that's heavy heavy stuff yeah 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 that's kind of the goal mm -hmm. I feel like hearing is staring at the ceiling by the echocentrics and like maybe the theme of this episode should be genres elizabeth missed in the 90s because i never delved that deep into hip-hop back then i mean i knew the hits by like tribe called quest and diggable planets but nwa and public enemy i totally did not go down that road it was like adrian said music that seemed really dangerous and i was kind of scared but maybe it's because I'm older or now this is just what I want to hear. But like, I want to hear more Public Enemy. It's so political and confrontational in the best way and in a way that can be hard to find in mainstream popular music these days. So thanks, Adrian. Also, I could hear that repetition that Adrian talks about that he was attracted to in all of those tracks, which gives me like a whole new perspective on the echocentrics. Uh, speaking of the Echocentrics, they are KUTX's Artist of the Month for June. Every month we focus on one Austin band here at KUTX, and we play their music a bunch on the radio, and we invite them into Studio 1A, and we have them do a My KUTX guest DJ set, and then we put it all in one place so that you can get to know that band better. I'll make sure you can find all things Echocentric on the This Song page for this episode. And I'll also make sure that I post a link to Django Django's Studio and a set so you can hear what Django Django sounds like in a more stripped down mode. And that's it. We have come to the end of another episode of this song. 
This song is a production of KUTX 98.9. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen, with help from Art Levy. I recorded both the Tommy Grace and the Adrian Casada interviews. Taylor Wallace has taken over our Instagram and is doing an amazing job. So go check it out. Our handle is at this song, KUTX. William Maxwell is our killer intern. And if you live in Austin, you should totally check out his band, Dreamboat. In fact, they're playing this Friday at Spider House Ballroom, just so you know. Thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all their help on this podcast. And yes, our theme song is Mahout. Mahout! By Austin's own excellent hardproof Afro beat. And like I said... They have a new live record out on Jim Eno's Public Hi-Fi Records, and I think you should look into that. You can email us at thissong at kutx.org or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at thissongkutx. You can follow us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, liner notes, song of the day, and Austin Music Minute on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And like I said, while you're there, we'd love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.